You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good day once again, everybody, and welcome to this latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is powered by Patterson Square Garden. I'm Darren Gunn. Well, in, in a span of eight days, we've watched Nick Sirianni go from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. Uh, I guess that's the simplest way to put it. So uh, I'm bringing in for this particular podcast a guy who I have a lot of respect for. I've known a lot of years as a colleague and a friend, and I, and I read his writings all the time in the Philadelphia Inquirer. He is the one and only Jeff McClain. Man, how you doing, man? It's been a while since we talked. Absolutely. You know, and one thing I want to start with is uh, Jalen Hurts. And, you know, we still don't know what Jalen Hurts is or is not. The first game, he completes 75% of his passes. Game number two, he completes 52%. And I saw you wrote where it says Jalen Hurts is still a work in progress. And I think that is the most accurate description you can have of a quarterback. We're still trying to understand, is he a frontline quarterback in the National Football League? Yeah, we're talking about it. This was his sixth career start. This was his second start in a new offense um, you know, with a new head coach and a new play caller. So, you know, why are we kind of rushing to judgment on this kid? And I'm talking about both extremes, you know, after the first game, mm-hmm. everyone's hailing at him as the second coming. And then this week now, all of a sudden, no, oh, he's, he doesn't have it, you know, now let's, let's give it some time here. It takes a while. We've seen before it takes two, three, sometimes four years to find out, you know, how good mm-hmm. a, a quarterback can be or whether he is, um, uh, you know, as he appears right in front of your right in front of your eyes, and I feel like with Jalen, uh, we're still trying to figure out. And it's not just um, about how he performs on the field; it's also how he uh, executes Nick Sirianni's mm-hmm. offense on the field, or if Nick is mm-hmm. you know giving him uh, the full plate yet, and or maybe he's kind of reeling it in a little bit just to allow the kid some time to develop. Um, I think those are all. Uh, variables that we have to consider when we're looking at Jalen Hurts and two games certainly in one offense is not enough time to make any uh, you know definitive statements about about the young kid. He's only what 23, 24 years old. 
Yep. Okay. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's way too early to determine and have a definitive opinion of him. But I'm going to put you on the spot through two games, and we're going to go through likes, dislikes. And I'm going to ask you first, what do you like about Jalen Hurts' game in Nick Sirianni's offense so far that you've seen? Uh, well, I, I, you know, obviously his ability to, to move and, and, and run. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, certainly uh, obvious that uh, he can pick up yards uh, at will if they're there. Um, you know, I feel like we saw in the first game, they gave him the two-minute offense, the way he was able to kind of march the team down there wasn't, uh, you know, there were opportunities for him to just kind of not give up, but just kind of make mistakes. And he didn't after the one touchdown was taken away from him. He went right back there and, mm-hmm. and, and made a great play. Uh, probably his best pass so far was the touchdown pass to to Dallas Goddard, where he was able to extend the play and throw on the move. So him be, his ability to throw on the move, I'd say, is something that I've liked. He has a very good touch on his deep balls. And when I'm not saying his like deep ball in terms of 60-plus uh, yards in the air we saw this past Sunday he was kind of inconsistent there one of three I mean he hit Jalen um excuse me Quez Watkins for the 91 yarder mm-hmm. but the other three weren't so good I'm talking about those feet those sideline fade routes he he's always thrown them very well in fact that was one of the first passes he connected on last year when he first got on the field as a quarterback in place for Carson Wentz against Green Bay he hit Jalen Rager we saw that a lot in camp and then we saw it in the first game first touchdown pass mm-hmm. for Devontae Smith Beautiful touch on that on that fade pass. So there are certainly elements of uh, Jalen's game that I like. What do you uh, not like so much about his game at this point? Yeah, it seems like there's times where he's quick to move uh, and run. Uh, there's some times where he doesn't see the, f- see the field completely and he's missing guys mm-hmm. here and there. Um, you know, that happens to a lot of young quarterbacks. That happens to a lot of quarterbacks that, um, you know, are multifaceted. Um and didn't and played in college offenses. Now, Oklahoma's offense was a little more sophisticated than one that he ran at Alabama. But when you get to the pros, there are going to be part elements of it that just he's not used to. So I think it's going to take some time here. They've tried to bring some of the college game into this uh, into this offense. Really, the bones of it is really kind of like Philip Rivers. When you think of this offense that mm. Nick Sirianni got, think Philip Rivers and think Peyton Manning. Well, does Jalen Hurts remind you of either of those guys? No, he's, he's a different type of quarterback. So what they've done is you've seen a lot more of the RPO game. You've seen a lot more of the zone read game. You've seen a lot more of getting him getting the ball out quick from his hands. That being said, I do feel like he can do some of the other stuff, and I'm wondering if Nick is still kind of trying – he's trying to get Jalen – I think he's trying to – I think he wants to trust Jalen, but I'm not sure if he's quite there yet. Okay. One thing I do like about this offense in general that we haven't seen in quite some time is its big strike capabilities with with the likes of Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, Quez Watkins. They can finally stretch the field, Jeff. Now, I agree with you. I think he still needs to work on the deep ball just a little bit more, but the capability and the possibilities are there, man. I agree. I mean, you do, that's what you have with those young receivers. They're young, though. So there's going to be some time that they're going to need to develop. Uh, I feel like Devontae is certainly it's going to get there. He's just wait from what you see already. I know the numbers weren't great on Sunday, but he drew two personal foul penalties. There were a couple of passes that maybe shouldn't have been thrown to him. I thought I thought Jalen forced him into him, but he can get behind the defense. On the first deep ball, he got behind the safety. Jalen waited for whatever it is. Maybe he didn't see him. I don't know what exactly what it was. You'd have to ask him. Um, and he paused, and then maybe the ball was underthrown a little bit. But Devontae got behind the safety, just allowed the safety time to catch up. 
So I think Devontae is a guy that can stretch the field. Quez, as we've seen already, and as we saw in camp, he can stretch the field. Uh, Jalen Rager has that capabilities. I'm not as much sold on him as I feel as the other two in terms of that type of uh, route running. Um, I felt like maybe that last deep ball, Jalen, Jalen didn't help out. Uh, excuse mm. me. Yeah, Jalen Rager didn't help Jalen Hurts out as much as he probably could have. I, I like the way the offensive line has kept him clean for the first two games. Uh, we knew coming into the Atlanta game that uh, Dean Pease loves a blitz. We knew the 49ers were going to come after him. And I think the offensive line, as well as the running backs, have done a great job up to this point in terms of picking up a lot of the blitzes. I think San Francisco got a little bit more pressure on them than the Atlanta Falcons did. But I think the offensive line in general has handled it uh, pretty well. Yeah, they haven't sacked him much. And to his credit, he, he's he's avoided some sacks himself. I mean, mm-hmm. because of his ability to to evade uh, you know, pass rushers and to um, you know, whether break tackles or be able to get uh climb the pocket and escape and, and run with use his legs. So, you know, credit to both those units. Obviously the offensive line, as we know, I'm sure we'll be talking about is gonna be tested now with uh, Brandon Brooks out. Um, I've always said from day one that the key to this offense's success would be the five guys up front making the offense flow. And now all of a sudden, game number two, you lose Brandon Brooks uh, for a period of time. Luckily, uh, it's not season-ending, but he's going to be out a significant period of time. Um, Your thoughts on them now trying to find that replacement for Brandon Brooks? Yeah, you know, coming into the season, we knew if this unit was healthy, that it'd be one of the better ones in the NFL. Mm -hmm. But we also knew that you're looking at three of the five guys being over 30. Two of them are coming off major surgery, Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks. And and Brooks has been beat up a lot this past, these past few years. Two torn Achilles tendons. He had the, uh, I think it was the bicep injury that uh, knocked him out uh, late in the season two years ago. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then now all of a sudden you have this this latest setback for for Brandon. So it's not like it's a huge surprise, and that's why Howie, to his credit, has invested uh, significantly in both sides of the ball in terms of up front. So you have Landon Dickerson, second rounder. This is what he was uh, drafted for, um, just you know to be ready to start right away. So you don't expend a pick that high. Obviously, he's coming off the knee injury and hasn't practiced mm-hmm. much. I got to look at the game film from what Nick was saying that he kind of settled in and did okay. Um, there were certainly some areas where he struggled. I think uh, Nick mentioned pass protection, and that's just maybe going to take a little bit of time, but he's a hulking monster, and he's got the ability, and he's a smart kid. I imagine – I mean, I think I predicted this at some point. I felt like it, mm-hmm. you were going to see Landon start, uh, you know, whether it was because of injury or because of uh, maybe the way someone was performing. I don't think Brandon Brooks would have uh, not performed well. Maybe Isaac, although Isaac settled down himself. But I just felt like at some point, probably because of injury, you would have seen Landon Dickerson – and it looks, I think it's, I don't have any reason to believe Nick wouldn't confirm who the starter is going to be on Sunday at right mm-hmm. guard, but I don't think there's any reason to believe that it's still going to be landing over uh, Nate Herbig. Yeah. I, okay. So based on what you're saying and based on what Nick Sirianni said when it comes to Landon Dickerson, okay, he said he still needs to work on his pass protection, still needs to work on assignments. Is, are you surprised that he was inserted in there, especially with the lack of practice time, instead of Nate Herbig? Shouldn't Nate Herbig have been the natural transition, considering Herbig has already been in this, has a little bit more experience on him, so to speak? Yeah, I thought maybe that would give them the opportunity to do that. Um, I guess I wasn't 100% surprised, um, but um, just because he's a second rounder. I mean, if you feel like a guy's ready and you drafted him in the second round, uh, you throw him out there. 
Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, I was a little surprised just because I felt like Herbie would be able to go in there and maybe kind of get mm-hmm. him through this game. And then maybe after a week of practice uh, under his belt, you'd say, okay, Landon, now, now's your time. Um, it didn't, didn't seem to cost him the game. There were a couple mm-hmm. of rushes I thought maybe that uh, you could pin on the pressures on, on Landon. Um, the first play that he had, he got driven back and almost into Jalen. But Jalen, that was the one where he yeah. threw the long pass to Quez Watkins, so it didn't hurt him there. You know, a lot of people are still talking about the Philly special part two play against the 49ers. Do you think Sirianni tried to get a little too cute in that, in that situation? Because if they get a touchdown, there could be a completely different ball game. Uh, I think it was uh, Bo Wolf of the Athletic called it the silly special. <laughs> it's pretty good. I got to give him credit. That's not bad at all. I was calling. Were you surprised? Yeah, I was calling it the Philly on special, the Philly not so special. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's not, not that's not a not so that's a not special uh, nickname for it. But uh, you know, I had a problem with the plays down there because I felt like uh, not the calls as much as design of the plays. Now Nick's explanation yeah. for the first the first play, which was from the one where they rolled, uh, it was off play action. Okay, play action. Maybe you're expected to run there. You went heavy. And from one yard, you usually don't have options, more than one option. The, the second option is to run. Uh, the 49ers give them credit. They were able to sniff it out. But, you know, and maybe Jalen, if you look at it, maybe Jalen could have thrown that once uh, Zach had the first step on Fred Warner. Um, mm-hmm. But why not another option there besides the run? Why not mm. another passing option? And I thought that was the same problem with the fourth down play, the, the silly special was that yeah. it's all it was. Hurts was the only receiving option. And if you recall in Super Bowl 52, mm-hmm. if, if Nick Foles wasn't open, Torrey Smith was wide open too. You're going to throw him to him too. They fooled that, him so right. much. So, you know, right. And there was no option. And, and Nick's explanation for that was when you have a receiver on a trick play, you don't want to really complicate it too much. You want to give him the one. Typically, that you feel like that's enough to one read should be enough. And if he doesn't have the top, you know, he calls it a top uh, down type of read. If he doesn't the pass in there, you run it. And maybe Greg had the opportunity to run it there. I have no idea why he threw the ball away on fourth down. Just like trying to squeeze it in there and try and run. I, I don't know. Um, and this is a guy who played quarterback and played it at a high level in college game. But uh, my problem a little more with the design. The execution wasn't great either. And the fact that Nick, you know, wasn't able to kind of be one step ahead of the 49ers who clearly were at one step ahead of him. But these are some of the things that we expected uh, going into this season. A new coach growing into his position as a play caller and a group of young players mixed in with seasoned veterans growing together. You know, they had limited amount of playing time in the preseason, you know, if any. And now they're getting their feet wet, you know, by trial and error while the bullets are flying for real. So, you know, there will be the success ratio and the failure ratio, but in a general sense, um, where are you on board, maybe not on board, with, the, with Nick Sirianni's play calling overall? Well, I think before the season, most people would have had this probably marked as a, as a loss. Uh, I picked them to lose even after the first game. Uh, the 49ers are a capable team. Two years ago, they were in the Super Bowl. Uh, they were, they're more healthy than they were last year. They've lost some guys heading into this game, but they're still healthier than they were a year ago when the Eagles beat them in San Francisco with Nick Mullins at quarterback. So you have Jimmy Garoppolo back. You have um, a number of skill position players back. You still have uh, George Kittle. You still have Debo Samuel. You have good players on the defensive side. Nick Bosa, D'Amico Ryan is a budding 
defensive coordinator, potential head coach. So it's a good team. So like, it's not a surprise that, that, that Nick would lose this game. And, and in fact, I think what maybe what people were upset with because they had every opportunity to win this game. And in fact, they outplayed him in the first half. Now you, it's not a 30 minute game. It's a 60 minute game. And the 49ers were able to kind of take advantage of them. I think in the second half, um, both defensively and offensively, but yeah, if you stand back and look at the big picture, this is going to happen. I mean, Nick has never done this before. I'm not saying you should grade him on a curve necessarily, but I feel like you have to give him some time here. This is two games we're talking about. And in terms of Nick as a head coach, uh, I like a lot of what he's done. And I, I like a lot, of the, uh, a lot of what he's done in terms of his relationships with the players in the locker room and also what he's done schematically and also what he did in terms of his hires. I mean, I think Jonathan Gannon is a good defensive coordinator and will be possibly a great one. Um, defensively, they've played well. They've only given up 23 points in two games. They only gave up 17 points. The 49ers, I think they averaged 4.5 yards per play on Sunday. That usually is enough to win you a game. So, you know, yes, I understand week to week and you lose a game after what you did in the first game, people are upset. But I think if we step back and look at it, you know, this wasn't yeah. completely unexpected. It wasn't like they were blown off the field by the 49ers. I've talked to you about this before, and, and now we have a new coaching regime. You know, the word analytics comes into play so much. Um, Jeffrey Lurie is big on it. Howie Roseman is big on it. That organization is big on it. Yeah. Do you think coaches rely too much on analytics instead of feel for a game? You know, Doug Peterson loved his analytics. You know, and sometimes I think a, a head coach gets away from the feel of the game and relies more on a computer to tell them what they need to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you just a little bit here because I feel like okay. I still feel like there's this old school mentality from, from most of the coaches and they, they've started to go more in that numbers direction. But if you look at, if you talk to people in the analytics community, they still feel like the, the coaches are still way too conservative in, ter- in terms of their play calling and when to go for it on fourth down and two point conversions, et cetera. They feel like they're too, um, they're too stuck in their ways in terms of like being a, you know, going on instinct in the old football gut. And, um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you what the analytics community feels. And I feel like, it's, you know, again, the coaches were way behind the curve. And you've seen coaches catch up, in essence, to that in terms of, you know, the whole uh, establish the run theory. Not many coaches believe in that anymore. The whole field, field position theory, not many coaches believe in that. Fourth down, you're seeing more coaches going for it, go for it than ever. The first week, I think, was the highest percentage in terms of toss-up plays that you saw coaches being aggressive Two-point conversions, you, you've seen it, Nick do it twice now in the last two weeks. Now, Nick, I felt, was a little more conservative this week in terms of fourth downs versus last week. Last week, I felt he was aggressive. Uh, those plays didn't pan out for him, but I, I could understand why he did it. This week, he had two fourth and threes earlier and took and took the field goals, 45-yarder and a 47-yarder. And from, from my analytics my analytics guy, someone I know who works in, in the in the uh, the field, was telling me that actually those were probably green lights. The, most co- the analytics community would have suggested your in terms of the number numbers, your best chance of winning would have been to go for those fourth downs on fourth and three. And Nick kicked the first one; they made it. Second one was blocked. Um, so I feel like with Nick, and from what I've been told, he's not going to be analytics driven. He's definitely so. I f- think even though he, he was aggressive in the first game. A little more conservative in the second. I still feel like he's going to be mostly a gut guy. I think he's going to listen to the numbers, 
at times, but I think a lot of times he's going to be playing it by ear in terms of what he feels is right in that moment. I would imagine also the opponent has to come into that equation as well. I mean, obviously, you knew it didn't take long to figure out Atlanta's defense. Basically, it was like Swiss cheese. But we knew what this 49ers defense was. And I think, you know, from a coaching perspective, you know, you have to take what you would consider the sure points more so than no points and giving that team a, a team the caliber of a 49ers the ball in, in good de- a good field position. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree with that in terms of them making decisions to go for three instead of going forward on a fourth down situation? Absolutely. And I feel like that was his, that would be, that would, would have been, he wasn't asked about it, but I would figure that was his rationale. And he even said in the Atlantic game, I think it was, uh, fourth down on the 20-yard line, and they went for it. And he's like, well, our defense is playing pretty well, and I figured we'd be able to get the ball back. And, in fact, they did. They did a three and out, and then they scored on the, on the following possession. So here, get points. Although, when you know, at the three-yard line, fourth and three, he went for it there. Um, some people were saying take the points there. Analytics community would say, no, 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 you got to go for the touchdown there. Um, so uh, I don't know if that was aggressive or not. But, yes, I think that factored into the equation. This is a tough defense. If we can get points, three points, let's do it, 47, 45 yarders. Those are field goals that uh, Jake Elliott typically makes. Um, so, I, yes, I do understand that. You do have to factor that in, and I think that's the way he feels about it. And I'm not saying the analytics community doesn't factor those things in as well, but certainly sometimes they see things in a binary way. You mentioned Jonathan Gannon, who I want to get to in just a moment. But before that, one of his chess pieces, Brandon Graham, I had reported while the game was going on that he suffered the uh, Achilles rupture. And sure enough, it turns out that that turned out to be the case, unfortunately, for Brandon. But you've been around Brandon as long as I have and then some. Give me your perspective on what it means to that defense. We understand that, that Brandon's 33 and he may not be the same player that he was at 28, 29, but still very effective at 33. But what he means, not just to that defense on the field, but to that defense as a stand-up guy, as a leader, both on the field and in the locker room for that matter. Yeah, aside from the quarterback, you know, I don't know if there's a player that you hate to lose more than Brandon Graham. And defensively, he's he's always been the tone setter, right? How many times you see BG, and I know he does it on purpose. He's like, I'm coming out guns a-blazing because I know if I make a TFL early in the game, that's going to set the tone. And you've, he's done it so many times, and Jim Schwartz used to talk about it all the time. BG's our tone setter. And so it's it's not just that he makes plays, it's when he makes plays. He knows, like there was a, um, I was just watching the film of the Atlanta game, and opening drive, Atlanta goes all the way inside the five, and I think it was a first down run play, and BG I just, he almost just said, smelled the play out, knew he had to make something, kind of gambled a little bit, but made the right play, TFL, and they end up having to kick a field goal. So it's those types of plays that BG makes, but also in terms of not just that. I mean, like, there's, he's one of the best run setters, uh, edge setters in the game. You know, not many DNs pride themselves on stopping the run. BG does, and he can do it very well. Obviously, he, you know, he gets paid to rush the passer, he still can do that very well. Um, maybe not, as you mentioned as well as maybe he was in his twenties, but he's a smart guy now. He's like, he's not, wasn't always a smart guy, but you've been around a lot, a long time. You know how to read guys, you know how to get in their heads, you know exactly what they're doing. And then in terms of like off the field, um, sometimes that whole leadership thing, too much can be made of it. But I think in BG's case, not so much because it's, I mean, you, you can't 
discounted because he I don't think he's replaceable right now because there's nobody else on that defense that is as vocal as him and is as positive as him. You know, Malcolm Jenkins and BG were quite a combination because Malcolm was a little more tough. I mean, he would tell guys, get in their faces and that kind of stuff. BG would a little do that, but he's more of like a coach guy, a positivity, bring the energy guy, and but also be very vocal about keeping guys in the game, that kind of thing. And I don't know who that guy is now. I don't know who, you know, are there any candidates? I have no idea, to be honest. I, I, I can't single out one guy um, that would, would pick up that slack in terms of being that overall guy to be a you rah rah guy, a motivational guy, a pep talk guy, and then go out there and set the tone as well. I, I don't know if they have that guy in the locker room of the defense right now. And you make a great point because, like, it's, you know, I remember Jeremiah Trotter. Remember this third time he came back, and that team was struggling in 2009. And mm-hmm. I remember coming up to him about, you know, saying, well, hey, why don't, you, why don't you just take the leadership role again? And he's like, you don't understand. He's like, he was only playing in a marginal role. I think he was just playing on the base right. counts. He's like, you don't understand. He's like, you got to be out there playing all the time, a lot, and playing well. You know, he's like, for it to be a leader. So who are the other better players on the team are playing a lot, a lot, you know, like Fletcher. And I think Nick Sirianni, I don't know if he called him out, but he said, Fletcher's going to step, Fletcher's got to step up. Now, I don't know if that's Fletch's MO. Fletch, Fletch can lead in certain ways, but he's not a real vocal guy. He's not, and he'll, of course, say it. And he's kind of a, you know, follow by example in terms of when he brings the, uh, when he makes a big player, you know, but he's not that type of guy. And Malcolm's no longer here. Maybe Darius Slay. I mean, guys really like him. He talks a lot. Uh, he's kind of silly a little bit, but, you know, Eric Wilson, maybe he's a new guy, real positive guy. I don't know. So I, you know, I don't know him as well. I don't know Anthony Harris as well. Uh, I think those are good guys to have in your locker room, but I just don't know if they, if anyone, uh, maybe BG's is not replaceable. I mean, like, you know, let's, let's be honest here, right? Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more, but in the days and weeks to come, we're going to find out if they have that so-called engine to make that motor run defensively, especially when they get into some more of the heavyweight competition they're going to face like the Kansas Cities, the Tampa Bays and teams like that. But with, with BG out, I would assume that means other guys not only have to step up, but may have to play more plays. And I was a little bit surprised that that Josh Sweat, who they obviously have identified as one of their long-term guys, only played 40% of the snaps. I, I was a little bit surprised by that. Were you? Yeah, and the Knicks' explanation, at least why it happened that way, made sense to me. because the, So what they're doing now, the 49ers play a lot of jumbo packages and with a fullback, two tight ends. So when they go jumbo, the Eagles go big themselves. So they go three, four. So you have a lot of ends moving into those, um, those three, four DN roles, which are like four, four or five tech. I'm getting a little technical here. And then you have these outside, uh, outside linebackers and Josh isn't, Josh can't slide, or at least they don't like Josh sliding into that role. And I can kind of understand why he's not a big guy. And so BG can do that. And they've been having Ryan Kerrigan do it and Teron Jackson. I think that's not, where they should be doing it, but they've been doing that. And then what you have essentially is two more guys added to that outside linebacker role, which are Jannard Avery and Patrick Johnson. So when you go with that package, that kind of leaves Josh rotating amongst, and Derek Barnett's also included in there, and sometimes Ryan and sometimes Teron. That's got now you have six guys playing in that. So when you're calling packages, I think Josh was getting lost in the shuffle. But Nick, to his credit, said, no, 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 he's got to be playing more than that. And my guess is that they'll figure out a way to make sure that Josh is out there more. Because as you mentioned, this is a guy you identified 
um, worthy of a contract extension. He has played well. Um, you know, I wonder if he's going to be, this is the question now, this is what you're asking, right? Some guys got to, guys got to step into that role. And with BG gone, it's going to be, to be Josh Sweat. It's going to be Derek Barnett. I wouldn't count on Milton Williams. He's going to have to do some of that too. You'll see him kick outside. Ryan Kerrigan as a veteran's got to step up and Teron Jackson's going to get some opportunities as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. And I think with Josh, one of the questions was whether he could be a starter, whether, you know, he hasn't starting. They've been going with Derek Barnett, despite as well as Josh Sweat played in camp, they're still going with Derek Barnett. Now the starter, you know, at defensive line, there's still rotation. It doesn't matter. Um, but can Josh play a significant number of snaps? That's always been the question about him, I feel. Mm, I think we're going to find out and get our answer before it's all said and done. And I'm glad you brought up Derek Barnett. And I think it speaks volumes right now that Josh Sweat gets this contract extension, but it's still a wait-and-see issue with Derek Barnett. And I think a big part of the reason why is, number one, can he stay healthy? You know, and number two, because he continues to make dumb plays on the football field. I mean, you had the 49ers in a situation where it could have been a big momentum shifter on, on, the, on the, the, the ball that went out of bounds backwards. And all of a sudden, he clips a guy in the back for no reason. And he, and he does this time and time again. And obviously, the coaching staff right now is not going to tell you exactly what they think of him, whether it's positive or negative, uh, as they go through the weekly wars right now. But I think, I think Barnett is costing himself in terms of maybe longevity with his team and possibly financially down the road because he can't get past these mental boo-boos he keeps having. Yeah, I mean, TV plays with an edge. And, and you know, Coaches like that sometimes. They like it when it's before the whistle. They don't like it when it's after the whistle, right? And that's that's been the problem with Derek. Uh, he just doesn't know sometimes when to reel it in. And, you know, when you're not playing particularly great, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And uh, Derek's not a bad player. Is he? Has he been, has he been worth the first-round pick? Probably not. He has, The numbers haven't been there. And as you mentioned, the injuries have been an issue as well. But you got to bring it if you're going to do stuff like that. And so, and he really kind of hasn't done that completely uh, throughout his first, you know, now over four years of his career. And look, they picked up his fifth year option. Um, they renegotiated it down a little bit. They're, you know, he, that was a lot. It was like a 11 a million that they're going to pay him. So, but he's still getting a lot of money for a guy um, who really kind of hasn't put up great numbers. So, yeah, you got to wonder about whether he's here long term. I mean, he look, he's going to be motivated. Uh, he's in a contract year. Uh, there's other teams watching. Um, he has some ability. But as you mentioned, you know, I've come down hard on Derek before, and this one was pretty bad. Um, but, um, you know, I do like that he brings edge. It brings a little fire. I don't know, you know. But, again, more than anything, he's just got to – he's got to produce on the field. And there's times where it's like – I just feel like sometimes the size with him is an issue. Um, he's not as long as Josh Sweat, and he can get swallowed up by gar- by tackles sometimes. And if he can bend that corner because he's got that great bend, but that's that's his best move, and it may be really only his only elite move. The other stuff sometimes he just can't pull off because he doesn't have the strength mm-hmm. and, the, and the size to, to run over guys. You mentioned a number uh, a little while ago about this defense in general having only given up 23 points on the first 
two games. And, and uh, some stats that I had written down prior to getting on to talk to you was right now, two games, still early in the season, two games, defense is fourth overall. They're third in pass defense, second in points allowed, and fifth and third down efficiency. And you mentioned Jonathan Gannon. And, of course, here's another scenario. We were waiting to find out exactly what his defense would look like because, obviously, it was very vanilla in preseason. But I think, as you said, and, and I like the way you, you, you extended accolades toward him, I, I, I've been pleasantly surprised with the overall concept of what he does with his chess pieces, uh, moving them around to combat these offenses in the National Football League. Yeah, you're seeing he's playing everybody on the roster who's active. Yes, man. Yeah. Yeah, and you know sometimes maybe that's not that that can work against you, but I think so far for him it hasn't. It keeps guys fresh. This is a long season. You got 17 games, right? And and as he mentioned, he's I think he was asked about this last week. He's like, you know what? I mean, there's going to be injuries. So if you are the say the seventh uh, or whatever the tenth defensive lineman, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden we have an injury, we got to throw you in there. And you haven't had at least a couple reps. It can be tough. So this way, we, we give these guys uh, reps here and here, not just like garbage time reps. Game, reps in game. Now that can burn you sometimes. So far, it hasn't. And the other thing that we've learned about—I mean, he's—we I mean, knew about the defense that he, had, the defenses that he had worked in previously. I mean, he's going to play sure. a lot of soft zones, and he's going to want teams to kind of beat you with a lo- long drive. Now they gave up two touchdowns on long drives on Sunday, um, but. I kind of understand why he's going to attack that way. And, you know, you're not going to see a lot of man-to-man. But uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, the, how teams combat that the more they get to see it. Um, you know, can he counter? Can he, does he have enough tricks in his bag to counter what, what the good quarterbacks? I mean, we had, they, had, they haven't really faced a great elite quarterback. Well, Matt Ryan's pretty good, but at this stage of his career, maybe not elite sure. anymore. I think the same could be said of Jimmy Garoppolo. Dak will be a different test than those receivers – uh, this coming Monday night, there'll be a different test uh, for Jonathan Gannon. But I think Gannon's a smart guy. I think he um, understands uh, the modern offense and how to combat them. And I think he understands that you got to be versatile. I know some people aren't liking the 3-4, but there's a reason behind it. And so far, I think he's done a pretty good job with it. Speaking of the Cowboys... Everybody's now talking about this game. Both teams one and one. Dallas should have beaten Tampa Bay in their season opener. They got a 56-yard field goal to get by a decent Chargers team. Uh, This one taking place Monday night down in Dallas. Uh, Dak Prescott is back. Looks pretty good. What are you expecting in that game in terms of um, back and forth between these two? Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, Dallas' defense is not particularly great. No. I mean, yeah. it's a little better. They got a new defensive coordinator, but you're without Demarcus Lawrence, probably your best defender. Um, you you got some athletes on that side of the ball in Dallas, especially at linebacker. Um, you know, so I don't know. I don't know if that's the tight end, in the middle of the field is where you want to go. They haven't really kind of gone there much with Jalen Hurts, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's by design or if that's what Jalen Jalen doesn't like throwing um, in between the seams. Uh, I, I think there should be some points scored in this game. Um, mm. I think the Eagles have an opportunity to score here, and I think Dallas will certainly as well. Um, Dak has maybe the best trio of receivers in the NFL. I mean, you could certainly make that claim um, with that group. Um, so I, I think there's going to be some points scored in this game. Um, I haven't watched a lot of Dallas, uh, at least in terms of the – I watched the opening game, but I haven't watched the Chargers mm-hmm. game. Um, but well, I think that was 20 to 17. So, yep. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good quarterback that they kept the 17 points, um, Justin Herbert. So, 
yeah, yeah, I think that they've definitely corrected some of the some of the flaws they had defensively. So it should be a pretty good test for the Eagles, and certainly um, Dallas, I guess, is the favorite. I mean, I, I don't know what the number is. It's got to be six, five, six, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. The number keeps fluctuating, so I don't know what it is as at this time as we speak. Are you taking Eagles in that game? I think I'm. Le- I, I'm think I'm leaning Dallas, Gunner. Uh, oh, you, you know what? Don't don't go out publicly until after the game then. Really? You're picking Dallas. I have Don't to, go out I publicly. Have to, uh, I have to. Don't let Eagles there. fans know you're doing it. I have to put it out there. I've been two notes so far. I'm usually <laughs> usually pick against, usually pick the opposite of what I what I pick. But yeah. I mean, you know, they got to go on the road against uh, Dak. I That's just, right. Uh, you know, I feel like no. I think well, this will be interesting to see how Nick responds to a loss. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's got more ba- more tricks in his bag, and and. You know, that first game wasn't all he had. Uh, but I think he needs to open the playbook up a little more for Jalen. You know, don't tell anybody I said this, but uh, as I pick games this week, uh, I'm leaning w- towards what you're leaning towards. I mean, it's going to be a huge Monday night game. Dallas is at home. And I do believe, you know, people I've talked to down in Dallas, uh, the, the team is still kicking themselves because they let Tampa Bay off the hook. They had Tampa Bay right where they wanted them. Uh, they got by the Chargers team, and, and I think they're going to be ready for the Eagles. I think it's going to be a great game, but you're right. Uh, I, if, if push comes to shove, I, if, if people are twisting my arm, I'm picking Dallas, down in Dallas in this particular game. I think these two will split the season series. Yeah, I think that's the way I had it too. I mean, yeah, it's tough to look too far ahead, but uh, this – Yeah. I mean, Dak, you know, like Dak – I, I give the edge to Zach, Dak. I mean, it's not yeah, all about yeah, the quarterback, yeah. right? But, and yeah. you know, I think some people feel like Jalen has Dak like qualities, and I could see that. Um, I just feel like Jalen needs an opportunity to throw from the pocket a little more. And, and I'm not saying that's going to be his strength, but I just feel like he can do it. You just got to put him in the right situation and scheme up plays for him um, to take advantage of, of, uh, of him. Will Zach Ertz make it off COVID protocol for Monday night? That's a tough call, but it sounds like that yeah. he had. I know for a fact he had. He was vaccinated, um, and I guess the good news for the Eagles is that there's nobody. Apparently, nobody else that's been, you know, it, mm-hmm. contact tracers. There's nobody else they've identified mm-hmm. as possibly having, or I don't even know if it's whether he had it or whether he was around somebody. Um, I don't know that specifically yet. Um, and I think he just has to have two negative tests within 48 hours. Within 24, 24 hours, I believe it is. 24 40, hours, like right. That. And they yeah. have this extra day, so that could benefit them as well. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you don't want to lose Zach Ertz. That being said, he's only got four targets in the last two games. So it's not like you're utilizing mm. him much, are you, you know? No, no. Hey, he is Jeff McLean. Follow him on all of his social media platforms. And if you don't already, I advise you to read his column uh, each and every day in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, you know, man, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You know I'm going to be calling you before the season's all said and done. Thank you for hanging out with me on Gun on One today, man. All right. Thanks, Gunner. Anytime. All right, brother. Yep. You take care. All right. That's going to wrap up this edition of Gun on One, brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. As I tell you each and every week, stay blessed out there. But more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gun on One is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. 
Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.